Welcome to the Teaching in Tech podcast with Alan and Chad. This podcast was developed with teachers in mind. We are glad to have you joining us on the podcast where we will dive into everything related to teaching, learning, and technology integration. Our goal is to inspire passion in teachers by discussing strategies and activities that have been successful in the classroom, along with ways to integrate technology for maximum student engagement. In each episode, we want to look at things teachers are doing that are working, detailing teaching strategies and technology integration ideas. Also, special guests will join us to share their own strategies that have been successful with their learners. In today's episode, we're going to talk about ways to structure lessons and integrate technology to save valuable time and engage students in the process. Much of what we're going to discuss today is based on an interactive document from Apple called 30 Time-Saving Tips from Teachers, which details how to use the iPad to increase efficiency. But don't worry, because if you're in a Chromebook or a PC district, we'll look at some alternate ways that you can transfer these ideas over to other devices. Well, before we dive into those uh, 30 strategies, or or some of those, I I really want to emphasize the importance of routine and procedure. Uh, when we when we do anything new in class, we want to make sure that we establish the norms of working with something new and, and make sure we pre-teach so we can go over what the routine and the expectations are so it becomes seamless in the long run with our students, uh, noticing that it is not something that will make it necessarily time-saving right away, but in the long run, it will definitely save time once that is established. Yeah, once you can get that once you can get that routine down where the students know what to expect, they've done it before and they've had some success with it, uh, that's certainly when you start to pick up time in the long run. And so we're teaching students how to learn before we necessarily teach them the content that they're going to learn and apply. Uh, so actually, um, one of the tips that I want to share is from one of our teachers here in our district. Uh, this isn't one of Apple's time-saving tips, but this is a strategy that one of our teachers has taken on themselves to not only front load some content, uh, remediate or review content, um, but but continue to embed a review and new learning every week. And so what they call it is their math skill quizzes. So this is one of our Algebra 2 teachers. Uh, and what they do is they did give a simple 10-question quiz every week. And on this quiz, it could have skill content. It could have content that they're going to learn, current content that they're learning. Uh, but they create one per nine weeks. Same 10 questions? Same 10 questions. So they take these 10 questions, they give it to the kid, and they tell them, you may not know or score a 10 out of 10 right now. But my goal for you is, by the end of the nine weeks, you are mastering this content. So is mastery considered 10 out of 10? I think that's that's their goal. Okay. Uh, but But his scoring, because sometimes not every student gets to that point of 10 out of 10, he will take the top two scores. Mm-hmm. Now, if a student has uh, 10 out of 10 two weeks in a row at the beginning of the nine weeks, then they just don't take the quiz. He'll provide some type of enrichment or extension that the student will work on while the, other, the rest of the class is going over these mm-hmm. 10 questions. Yeah, that's a nice form of differentiation when you have those extra extensions in mind, things that not every student's necessarily going to get to. But while those other kids are still working toward mastery, the student who already has, has made it there and, and has met that goal is then able to extend and work on something to either engage or it could, you know, as long as it's something high interest, that's a great plan. Yeah, and I, and I think it's a great way that he subtly uh, embeds a, a chance for review and front-loading at the same time. Uh, now, if you if you were to embed something like this in your own class, you could exclusively do one or the other. 
but he doesn't take too much time in this and it's once a week so now this has been a norm for the students starting with week one all the way through the end of the year they know exactly what to do on Fridays or the last day of the week that they'll see him and then they go they continue to go through this process and then they can you know build on goal setting skill development and extension so there's a lot of different platforms you could use for this type of task uh, what platform what platform are they using at this point for the students to take the to take the weekly quizzes? Uh, in this case, I, I think uh, it's either on iPad or paper pencil. Okay. So very very basic. Um, I don't think we've gotten to the level of having to teach you know a strategy of implementation at that point, but you know it definitely has ways to use through Google Docs. You could uh, have something through a Google Form Quiz. would be nice too. Google Form Quiz. Uh, that's what I meant. Google Form Quizzes. Um, so there are multiple platforms that this could be embedded in. Yeah, I'm thinking about from the standpoint of with Google Forms and also if you were to give that on a platform like Edulastic, the data collection would be interesting for the teacher as well because not only would you be able to see mastery on an individual student level, but as you're working through the nine weeks, you can track actually the overall progress of each group or of all your sections when you compile that data together pretty easily, uh, whether it's on a spreadsheet or whether it's a data report in a platform like Edulastic. So that's... That's a nice feature, too, as you're looking at, like, more of a macro level and growth of the overall class, too. Yeah, and, and that will actually break down that data for you. So as a teacher, you can spend less time feeling that you have to go through and grade everything where the system will do it for you if it's yeah. already been built and established. Great. So moving on to tip number two, and now we're going to start to reference some of these things that come from Apple's 30 time-saving tips. And if you're interested in checking these out, uh, that document from Apple, which is found in their teacher um, resources you'll be able to find that linked in the description for the podcast today but what we're going to look at is the voice memos app and even if you're not using ipad there's a lot of different ways that you can record those voice clips those voice memos so a couple different ways that this voice memo can be very helpful as far as time saving goes um, the first one has to do with whatever your lms would be so if you're learning management system whether you're using schoology uh, whether you're using Google Classroom, uh, one thing that's kind of interesting to consider is, you know, you can, with those voice memos, you could attach those as a part of your assignment. So if you have some directions that would require a verbal explanation and you know some of your students don't process long written directions very well, you know, you can take that voice memo and you could embed that link as part of your assignments and have a verbal uh, set of directions that students could listen to if they didn't catch the directions the first time which I think is a nice way to, to integrate that. Oh, it's a great way to have every student then access, access the, uh, what, what the directions are. I mean, obviously in class, I would hope that we'd have the opportunity to go through those, but how many kids didn't say, I don't, you know, I missed that or step out of the, go to the bathroom or they were absent, whatever it may be, if that's already built and embedded, you know, then, then you're hitting it with auditory and visual learners. Yeah. And the other thing too, Google In our district, Google Classroom is the main learning management system that we've used over the years. And without using extensions or other add-ons, Google Classroom doesn't have a voice feature built in. But that's actually another angle, too, not even necessarily using the Voice Memos app on iPad. Uh, with a service like Moat, uh, you know, they actually is an extension you can use where you can leave auditory feedback in the comments on Google Classroom. So think about that when you're commenting and providing feedback. Um, that's another angle where voice recordings and voice memos, they can save you time, one, because you can leave a description of your thoughts on, let's say, an essay or an assignment without having to type it all out. 
And the other thing that's nice about that too is sometimes when students get feedback in written form, uh, they have a hard time taking the tone of how it's written. So when you're actually given those verbal directions, there's actually an extra element of encouraging the students and making it a little bit more personal when they listen to those. Oh, that's a great point. Uh, one other thought with the voice memos as far as on the student side. So in our district where we're one-to-one -one with student iPads, uh, one of the things that a lot of our teachers are, are slowly finding out and learning as they're using, uh, we're kind of a district that's split between the two, um, two platforms. So we are a, a Google district. So teachers are using the Google Docs, Google Slides, Sheets. But then being also that we're one-to-one -one with iPads, we have all of the iWork suite built in there. So pages, keynote, numbers, we've got a lot of different tools that teachers can use. And we, I think for the most part, because of the collaboration, we've leaned toward that Google um, workspace. But one of the things that Apple provides in their iWork um, series that's really, really nice is that you can actually, in pages, in numbers, in Keynote, uh, students can insert those voice recordings right into their projects. So think about some of the possibilities that that provides as far as uh, extending, and not so much as a time saver, but extending student learning, is that, uh, let's say in a history class where students are making an interactive timeline, uh, and maybe what they're doing in Keynote is setting up that timeline where not only could they embed video links, but the different events along that timeline, they could include narrations embedded into their project so that when either they're sharing their work with others or you're evaluating it, there's kind of an interaction there with the student as opposed to just looking at text that's put on the screen or on the project. Oh, I'm even thinking that could, you know, be extended into your English class if they're reading an essay and they have to provide, you know, a quick description of uh, what, what they just read. Uh, or they could have verbal annotations. Mm -hmm. You could have math problems where they have to verbally explain what the process is. Science where they're describing what occurred in the lab report and the conclusions they made from uh, the experiment that they yeah. just did. Yeah, well, and even think about in the language arts setting, uh, if you're reading a story, if you're reading an essay, just from the standpoint of your oral reading skills, to have them read maybe what's the most important passage or what they believe is the most important segment, just to work on their uh, pronunciation, enunciation of words, and their oral reading skills, which is another, another nice feature of that, too. Oh, that's great. The possibilities are endless. Tip number three, annotating photos. So obviously, like we said, we're one-to-one -one with iPads, so we have the opportunity where kids can kind of pick up their iPad and take photos uh, with either the front or back-facing cameras. Um, you know, I think that there, this is a little bit more imited, uh, limited when we look at Chromebooks or laptops. Uh, but when we get into the annotating photos, especially with our Apple products, this could definitely have an application in classrooms for gallery walks, uh, having student engagement where they have to go around and they could have they could take pictures and then use the markup tool to draw, put notes, um, provide key components to what they're trying to engage with on, on the image. Um, under the markups, they could do use highlighters, pens, the pencil. Um, then they could download this as a PDF and turn it in directly on the learning management system. Yeah, one of the things I'm thinking about as we talk about this, when the students are working with whatever the device is in a one-to-one -one setting, whether it's Chromebook or whether it's iPad, what we're trying to do is move that uh, teaching and learning experience beyond just a substitution of pencil and paper to kind of expand the learning experience and expand the engagement. So if you think about a setting where, let's say, for example, students are working on a science lab and they have a digital lab report, and really all they're doing is completing the lab report just about in the same way that they would if they were using pencil and paper. Right, it's just substituted It's that. just a substitution. Yep. 
But if we're looking at, you mentioned a gallery walker. I'm thinking about, you know, when I, my days in the middle school science lab or even in a, in a high school science lab, if you've, got, if you've got models, if you've got examples, if you've got things around the room that students are working in stations and interacting with, it's really taken that interaction to another level when they're actually taking a photo of something that they've worked on, a model that they've interacted with, and then marking and diagramming different things in there. Uh, quite a bit different than just giving them a handout with uh, you know, a, a preset image on it and asking them to, to diagram and to mark. Because now what you can do is let them work with materials, work, work with uh, different items, or work with a model take an image of that and then expand on it. One of the things I really like in the markup tools is the ability you have to put like the zoom lens on there. Mm -hmm. So if you're dealing with, let's say maybe a, a dissection type lab in science, or whether you're working on even maybe in, in an art setting where you're working on some kind of product that you've created, and then you can not only mark that up with key features, but then put that uh, magnifying tool on there and zoom in on cer certain parts, it really gives a nice way to put emphasis on what they're and, working on. And then it becomes more interactive when you're on the image itself. You know, and, and adding to this, I, I think about a project I did in the classroom. It was kind of the end of the year leading in from algebra to geometry. We'd go outside and it started on paper, pencil, and I'd give the students all these shapes and they had to find them in nature. And then it became more interactive as we became one-to-one -one with our iPads. And I'm even thinking, man, this would have been great to think of at the time where if the students are going around and they're having to find prisms, pyramids, mm -hmm. triangles, circles, and they take a picture of the image and then they are outlining or drawing that shape over top of the image and then providing the description. Uh -huh. And then I can embed the voice memos and all of that work with it. But I mean, that, that's where uh, I keep thinking the wheels are turning at this point. Like, man, I wish I, I would have, you know, thought of this back then. Yeah. So one of the things too, another, another math related outside example that came to my mind, and I've seen happen a lot of times when you're working with Pythagorean theorem, and I've seen this one where when there's a, a sun in the sky that's casting a shadow and using a basketball hoop and then finding a shadow and measuring out those distances and then trying to find what the distance of that third one would be, that'd be another great one where they could really go through and get that image of something that's real and then by showing their work on the height of the hoop, measuring the height of the shadow, marking that on there, and then even having a place to work out the problem and, and then that could all be in that picture turned in on whatever your learning management system or whatever file sharing system you're using to turn in work. Um, another example of how that could be used. And it's funny because those are those are like candid, definitely types of uh, problems that are in every math book. They do the comparison, the proportions, and, and the shape. Right. And, I, and, and it's not one of our tips, but I even thought with that you could add in the measure tool mm -hmm. on, on your iPad or your Apple device, yep. where then you know you can add in the measure and then actually use what the what the true values of the heights and lengths are. Yeah, using real data instead yeah. of just uh, estimating or or you know measuring it with. A traditional like a tape measure or, or the uh, measuring wheel that type of stuff yeah yeah one last thing too just to mention about the annotating of photos which can can really be used in any setting um, keep in mind too if you have certain like print resources that's another way that you can save and cut down on copies or even if you have like a, a spur of the moment idea in class if you have an anchor chart on the wall, if you have a map on the wall, a diagram, and the students are able to in a, a setting where obviously you wouldn't want everybody trying to get an image of the same thing at the same time, but if they're working in small groups or working their way around stations, you can take anything in the room and even stuff that's print, even a handout, and have them snap a picture of that, annotate it up, and then use it for whatever purpose is going to meet your learning objectives. And the one last thing I wanted to mention about 
annotating photos. One of the things I've watched kids struggle with over the years is when they start to make notes and annotations and they make a mistake, they always have that like perfection mindset where they have to erase it and get it out of the way. And much easier to do on a digital setting where you're just taking your eraser tool and cleaning it up and then switching it to what you want as opposed to having a pencil, a pencil paper copy or using a pen paper copy uh, where it's harder to, to remove and change errors. So, all right, moving on to tip number four. Uh, and again, this is, is a little bit more, um, at the beginning, a little bit more Apple-centric, but there's ways to accomplish this in other settings too. So we've all in, in, in teaching found great websites that we want to use with our students, but because of where the website's hosted, it's just filled with ads and a bunch of clutter that really takes away uh, from the student's attention as they're trying to work with the content. And one of the great things built into the Safari browser on the iPad is Reader View. And so uh, for most Apple users, they'll know right up in the address bar, you'll see the uppercase, lowercase a icon. And when you're on a web page, you tap that icon and basically it's going to give you the option for reader view. And when you go to that reader view, it strips away all the ads, all of the extra clutter, and you get a really nice uh, clean look at any of the images and any of the text. So one of the things that this can accomplish is that if you found a great website that you'd like to treat like a handout and you want them to read the content, you want them to discuss it, you might want them to do some annotating of the text, you might want to have some markup of any images or diagrams, what you can do is have the just share the web address with the students, have them then in Safari open that link from wherever you've shared it, and by using Reader View, not only can they strip away the ads to create a nice legible document, but under the share button, there's a markup tool there. So once you use the markup tool, what it does is it actually, just like you could do on your computer, on a Chromebook, it takes the website and it converts it into a PDF. So it's an automatic process. As soon as you hit markup, it creates a PDF for you. And then you get all the same markup tools that you were using in the photos. And you can go through and do any of the annotations you want, any of the interactions that you want with what was on that website. So you think about what you've done is taken basically any website and created a uh, basically an interactive handout for the students to work with, which is a is a pretty cool thing. Yeah, and I mean not to tie back in too much or or beat a dead horse on this case, but establishing that routine with the students and and teaching this process. I'm thinking this, you know. How many times this could be implemented in any given classroom on a daily basis where you, you, you want to make things more relevant, uh, tying in the news, science articles, mm -hmm. reading opportunities. If students know that they can do this and then they can self-annotate, they can actually turn that PDF in and right there is a, a full uh, learning opportunity and submission process all, all fairly seamlessly put into um, this, this single uh, Safari reader. Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, when you talk about the time-saving side of it, as a teacher, you didn't have to go out and take the website and change it into a PDF. You didn't have to post it on your learning management system. Which it never you, turns out the same when you do that anyway, when you try and download yeah. it and then clean it up yourself. Right. So what you've basically done is you've basically just uh, you know given the, the students a skill and saved some time in the process by sharing a link with them. And I think the part that you mentioned is really the key is, as you as you use that process consistently in your class, you're giving the students a tool that they can use across a variety of subjects. So if they know how to use their device for productivity, any website that they find, think about group projects and research and that type of thing. If students find a in a group project setting where they're researching a great website, 
that gives them a place to take notes on what they found and integrate that into their project right there on the spot. So giving them those skills and then allowing those to, to be used you know, in a variety of settings uh, is really a good process and beneficial for the students. One thing that I wanted to mention also, if you're um, looking at this from a PC standpoint or a Chromebook standpoint, Chromebooks uh, have a similar, well, in, on a Chromebook, using the Chrome browser, you have a similar extension called Mercury Reader, and Mercury Reader does the same thing where it strips away the ads and, and creates a clean document. There's also markup extensions available in the Chrome Web Store that you're able to um, do some of the same markup features. One of the things that's kind of a downside when it comes to the photo annotation, if you're working with a, a PC or a, or a Chromebook, trying to take those images with the front-facing camera is a little bit more challenging. That's where the iPad has a little more versatility in that you have the front camera and the back camera. It makes it a little bit easier to get those photos. But once we get into um, annotating web pages, really whether you're on PC or whether you're on um, iPad, you've got quite a bit of flexibility there. Probably the biggest difference being if you're on Chromebook or PC, a, a keyboard-based device like that without a touchscreen, you're probably not going to do as much of the freeform writing, and it's going to be more about highlighting and maybe adding shapes and things of that nature to, to emphasize certain things. Yeah, and I want to add, there was a, there was a tool that, that comes to my mind that I just heard about today called Rewordify. And as I'm thinking, you know, if we're putting this in a PDF form where students are engaging in, in reading a text, this Rewordify, it's rewordify.com, you go through, you can actually take bits of text and put it directly into this web-based browser and select, um, like generate, and it will actually change some of the words that, that become more difficult and provide synonymous words that would be more at a student level based on what grade level they're in. Tip number five, lesson planning on a spreadsheet. Well, I, I think this is already contentious as far as lesson plans, what they look like, the, how much they're mandated, what's required. What your school asks you to do as far as the turn-in process, who's going to evaluate it, have you had to do it in the past, have you not? That varies a lot from school to school. Right. I think we can all agree, though, the lesson plans they had us do in college were excessive compared to what we would do in the real world. Uh, but... Lesson planning on a spreadsheet in the long run would actually save time depending on what your submission process is, but I would imagine at this point it's all electronic. And so anybody that's worked with Excel or Sheets, you don't need too much background knowledge to do this. You open up a single sheet and you create your columns based on what you need. Uh, it could be date, activity, standard, blooms, and DOK our depth of knowledge. And then from there, you just kind of build down. And so one of the things I did is I would have each quarter as a new tab, and I would have a running list of all of my dates and activities, and it would be in a sequential order and all in one place. And so if I had to submit, it was the same link that I would submit to uh, either my principal or on a submission document, which we have in our district. And so it was always accessible and it was always in the same place and it always made sense in what order and why I was teaching what I was teaching. Yeah, I, you know, for someone who started with originally making my lesson plans on Word documents and then moving from there to Google Docs, and I would have, a, by the end of the school year, a folder that had in my drive that had 36 different documents. After a while, I started thinking there's got to be a better way to do this. And as you mentioned, once we started shifting to s submitting lesson plans digitally, and even 
using Google Docs, it was a process of before the digital submission where for a while I would print those out and then hand those in in the office on Fridays before the following week. And finally, when I started to think about, hey, this spreadsheet, I can kind of house all this in one place. And by being able to open multiple tabs at the bottom and have separate sheets within this workbook, I can put all this in one place and I can have, you know, for the entire school year, everything grouped together. That's a pretty nice way to do it. And, you know, the one thing, too, that we have a lot of data in our spreadsheets that's going to be commonly used, like filling out things like activities and standards. So if you have just some basic knowledge of how to do data validation where you can put drop-down boxes in a spreadsheet, yep. you're going to save yourself a lot of time when you can just pick through your standards and instead of having to, to type in those standards over and over again or even copy and paste those, you can pull in your drop-down boxes and they're all right there at your fingertips. The other thing that can be added there too, if you're trying to monitor how you're getting through your lesson plans, if you've got a column that contains activities that you're using, and depending on how those went and you have check boxes beside them, you can mark through which checking off which things you used or worked well, which things you didn't get to. And it kind of gives you a way to interact a little bit more with your lesson plans in that in that spreadsheet. I think the biggest thing that really holds people back from that, a lot of the teachers that I work with in my position as a technology resource teacher, you bring up spreadsheets and particularly for people who are more um, it, in the arts and literature based and they, they prefer docs uh, they like, spreadsheets yeah. whoa 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 so uh you know once you start looking at it from a standpoint of you're really not you could have formulas involved if you wanted but right, but it could be as basic as you want it to be you're just entering text yeah. and, and another thing that i think saves time too is when you look at the way a spreadsheet set up with all the columns the rows and the cells a lot of the organization is already done for you so when you go back to the word processing document, you can insert tables and you can set it up the way that oh, you want. It just gets so messy. But there's always problems with as you add more information and then it, yep. it moves you to an, another page when you want to keep everything to two pages or three pages and you get that extra page with just a couple lines. You know, the, the word processing document really has a specific function and that's uh, when you're writing essays and writing papers and writing out documents in that way. So. I think a spreadsheet might be a, seem a little bit un unconventional. Now, another, another angle and another way to take that, if you go beyond like an Excel or a Google Sheet, numbers really is, is an interesting place to do oh, lesson yeah. plans because you're starting with a blank slate and you could insert those tables in there for certain things like standards and activities, but you've got all that other space to paste links or anything else you want. It's kind of merging both where, where some people you're, like the docs aspect and the sheets, you can kind of merge a little bit of that and work with numbers. But I will say numbers is a little bit overwhelming because it does have so much. Yeah, that's true. Um, but once again, you know, you can make it as simple as you prefer. Um, but but definitely the one thing I wanted to add with the, the lesson planning in the spreadsheets, you know, as you start adding, because I know some people, they like on their on their lesson plans, they like to just put real basic. This is what I'm doing. These are the activities. Uh, I'm giving a quiz at the end. But you can also actually link what those resources are. Mm -hmm. So if it's electronic rather than paper, you can link specifically that cell quiz to whatever the document of your quiz is or mm -hmm. the activity. You can link the activity to that cell so then everything is actually housed and accessible in one because I know sometimes if, if you're working out of Google, the drive becomes very overwhelming and messy especially after they've changed it where you, you don't move things around anymore, you just create shortcuts. Right. So it's really just saving all in one, one unit. And so a sheet would be a nice way to organize yourself and easily find 
those different activities that you'd be working with in the classroom. Yeah, I'm thinking about sub plans and things like that oh, too, or go. if you had things linked in and, and how that could, that could potentially save some time as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, one last thing too, just to throw in there when it comes to, to lesson planning using a spreadsheet. So one of the things that, that I did as a training for teachers last year, uh, our high school operates within a block schedule and we had some teachers who were trying to gather some resources about how to best use that 90 minutes and how to design a period. And what I actually did with using Google Sheets, I actually created some spreadsheet templates for them. So doing some research on what are some different formats and some different ways that you can structure a block, mm -hmm. I was able to use that to then develop spreadsheets with drop-down boxes and uh, so with those teachers are able to kind of choose from those and then pull templates that they can use depending on what they want to do on a given day with a block schedule and that's something else that we'll go ahead and make sure that we link in the description so that you can take a look at that if you're interested all right moving on to tip number six screen recording your lessons and when it comes to screen recording this is definitely something that's really easy and simple to do when you use an iPad many ways to do it but I mean, definitely not yeah. definitely not limited to iPad if you're using PC or if you're using Chromebook uh, there's a lot of ways that screen recording either your lesson or parts of your lesson can be very very helpful you know we mentioned the audio directions that could be linked in on assignments that are on your learning management system Screen recording is another way if you've got that saved in cloud storage, uploading that to Google Drive or to, to other forms of cloud storage, you know, you could have in your directions uh, a link to specific part of the directions with visual examples. So that if a student needs a couple times through beyond just your initial uh, explanation, that could be a nice way to simplify that and avoid the student being frustrated, not understanding, and also you having to answer the same question multiple times. Yeah, I, I mean, I did this a lot in the class especially when we kind of hit that, that COVID lockdown where, you know, not every kid was engaging in class or coming to the Google Meet all the time. So I would actually screen record the lesson and present it to students that were not there for whatever reason. And then I even continued that when we came back to the classroom where students that are absent, uh, if I was actually, if I was going to be absent for the day, I could pre-record my lesson and still share that with the kids so they would hear my voice associated with it. I mean, even how-to tutorials. So mm -hmm. when we talk about, you know, establishing a routine and showing kids how to do something, let's say, you know, what is a voice memo and how to how to do that, I could do a screen recording of walking a kid how to access the voice memos, how to do it, how to attach it to something. And even though I taught it at the beginning of the year, if they forget, they can still go back and see that screen recording later on. So, man, I, I just, it's a simple, a very simple uh, resource or tool or tip but it, it has endless possibilities of how it could be applied. And I'm thinking a little bit too, there is an investment of time up front. And I know we're always, all of us are crunched for time, but when you think about, for example, in your world, in the math world, every year you know you're gonna be spending time with order of operations. So if you have a, a, a quick video that gives a reminder on order of operations, and it's you showing the examples with your voice, that's gonna go a lot farther than just giving a generic video that you've pulled off YouTube or you've pulled off Edpuzzle that you can embed that and students can refer back to. I'm thinking about in the sciences, you know, typical things that you're gonna see year over year that would be worth the investment. For yeah. example, in a, in a chemistry setting, balancing chemical equations and going through the basics of that. It'd be more than worth the time to do a screen recording and have that available, whether it's on your learning management system, your classroom website, wherever you store data. And uh, I think that that's really a nice thing for students to be able to hear the example in their teacher's voice who they're used to working with as opposed to just pulling something off the web. And not to say it's not good to change things up from time to time and have them listen to, 
to different things and watch different from different sources as well. Yeah, but if they're learning it for the first time, I'll, I mean, I know from experience from using Khan Academy, Edpuzzle, YouTube, whatever you're pulling examples from, you might think that you're providing different opportunities to learn. But the, the, anytime I did a screen recording, I had more viewers than if I sent out one of these videos that was just created by somebody else. And like you said, I, the students have a comfort level um, and, and connection connect with their teacher. Exactly. So they, I feel that it, it's become more personal if they know it's you. Mm -hmm. And and I just want to extend on this. Even if you're not recording your lessons, uh, I actually would use this to have students uh, create their own video on solving a problem or applying something. So we always did an activity where you, the students could create their own Khan Academy video. So then it was them teaching a peer how to do something. Mm -hmm. And then the peer would have to watch the video and then rate how well they understood the content after their, their peer taught it to them. Yeah. And so it, you're, there's other ways to apply this, obviously, beyond the lesson plan where you can become more um, engaging with your content, kind of reaching a, a deeper level of understanding for the student if they're having to engage in teaching somebody else. But... Uh, definitely, definitely a valuable tool. Yeah. I, and I like that you mentioned that too. Once you get into that world of having kids create screen recordings where they're explaining, not, not necessarily just doing projects, but where they're explaining concepts and demonstrating mm -hmm. mastery. That's really a, when you've reached that level where you know they understand the content, when they can actually confidently create a video showing someone else a process, a concept, or how to work out a problem. One other thing that came to mind when I thought about how screen uh, recordings can save you time. So I know over the years that in the classroom, I always, one of the things I dreaded about having to miss a day, whether it was uh, due to being in meetings, due to some type of appointment, or even you know due to a personal illness, is the time it took trying to write out directions for somebody else to interpret so they could get the kids started and get the kids on task. And so what I started doing over the last couple of years that I was in the classroom is if I knew I was going to be missing a day to, due to a professional conference or an appointment of some kind, I would actually create a quick screen recording of uh, maybe six to eight minutes mm -hmm. going over all the key stuff for the day. And since everything we were working on mainly was going to be with digital content, that would be included in the screen recording. So as I gave those directions, the students would see the same agenda that I normally had posted on the, on the screen at the beginning of the period. They would then see all the resources that we were going to use along with the explanation of how to do it and maybe even me working out a couple examples to get them started. And so I've talked about a little bit before how I had that classroom set of headphones. So on a day when there was a substitute, I could get the kids set up on their devices with headphones. And even though I wasn't there, instead of the sub trying to work off of a handout when they don't even really know the students that well, the kids could jump on a screen recording of what they were supposed to do for the day and then hopefully dive right into what the content was for that day in class. Yeah, and I'm even thinking the time that I would spend writing out a lesson plan, trying to be over descriptive. So the sub knew exactly step by step, yep. which it still looks a hundred percent different when they're actually in the room with the kids and it's my room and not theirs. Right. You know, this, this kind of eliminates any um, question about what the expectation is. If the students have that recording and it's your voice and it's explaining what you need to have done. Yeah. And the one last thing that came to mind too was just the idea of doing like a lesson overview. So, or even a unit overview. So if you're getting started at the beginning and that's a good thing 
just to have available on, on a LMS, on a learning management system. If you've got a screen recording that kind of just goes over all the key points, it's a nice way to have an introduction where when they're working through material, that's something that they can take a look at. And it also gives them kind of a time frame as you're working through a unit to know like where you're going to start, what they're going to encounter, and, and how far that we have to go. So, All right. Lucky number seven here. Tip number seven, mirroring your iPad. So I, when we got the iPads one-to-one, -one, we were first here at our freshman academy, and this was the first tool that I used. I would mirror my iPad to my computer and project it right on the screen, and immediately be, I became more accessible around the classroom. Yeah, we were still, at the time, we still, before having LCD monitors on the wall, we were still oh, mainly projector. using projectors yep, to a smart board. Yeah, everything was still yep. plugged in. And, and so this was, I, I think, man, about seven, eight years ago is when we really started bringing these in at the freshman level. So our students didn't even have iPads yet. Mm -hmm. So they were still working based off of um, the pencil, paper, you know, very traditional model. And this mirroring your iPad, once I found out I could do this, it reminded me of when I used to have a Mobi pad. Mm -hmm. You took the pencil and you, you tried to line things up. You couldn't see anything. It was usually very messy. But the iPad uh, and the Mobi pad at the time allowed you to walk around the room and it, it just immediately gave you more classroom management. I, I had similar problems with the smart slate as far as trying to write legibly okay. with so that. that was, so that was, yeah, very similar t type tool. Yep. And it, it, was, it was disastrous to say the least. But the iPad, because you could see it and what was appearing on the screen was exactly what you were seeing on your screen. Uh, it was not only um, cleaner, but then you could navigate students where you want them to go. So at the, at the point where we're no longer, where their pencil paper, their one-to-one, you can model exactly what you want your students to be doing. Yep. And I did this all while being able to walk around the classroom. And not only is that a management, classroom management piece right there where you, know, you can redirect students, but then you can provide that one-on-one -on -one support as you're moving around the room. How often were we stuck at the front of the classroom where the chalkboard or whiteboard was, you were having to write, and then if you had to walk over and help the student, you had to disrupt the whole lesson or the, the flow of learning. Right. Or now with the iPad, if you're mirroring what you're doing, being able to step over, you don't really lose a beat by being able to direct them because no. you still have you know the navigation abilities. Yeah. As you bring that up, too, it makes me think back to, as a middle school teacher, being able to maneuver the classroom was key for me to keep uh, everybody on task and everybody focused. And I think back to um, many years ago when we um, actually went to we went to the uh, Windows uh, Surface Pro, okay. and at that time there was a mirroring feature built in, but it was very early in the game. So I wanted to try to use that right away. And the problem was with that I had a stylus Surface Pro, especially in the early years, great device, yeah. very functional, but the mirroring just wasn't stable enough as I tried to write notes on the screen and I tried to mirror Very that delayed. through my lot of lag, it would dr often drop and then I'd have to start the process over of reconnecting them. And so it never quite worked out. And then about three, it was about three years later, um, as when I came here to, to Canton City Schools, using the iPad with that mirroring was just so much, when we, at the time we were using that air server platform to mirror our iPad to, yep. the, to the MacBook. And it was just there was no lag there was no delay and having that device and being able to be mobile was really a game changer and so one of the things that kind of for our teachers um, i think at the high school when we talk to them about mobility with the ipad sometimes they they kind of get a little bit of a block because they think of the ipad in terms of if they have it invested in a case for it how do i carry that ipad around the room and teach with it 
Uh, if I have a keyboard case on it, that's not very effective. How do I be, get mobile with that? And so one of the first things I recommend to teachers is that when you go on Amazon and look up a, key, uh, a keyboard case, that's going to be a little bit more expensive. But for much less money, you can get a case with a hand strap. Mm -hmm. And once you learn to, it take, there's a little bit of a learning curve there, but once you learn to use your stylus and use that hand strap, you can can really do just as well as you could writing on a smart board or, or writing notes up front, uh, being tied to the board in the front of the room from anywhere it's in the room. It's just like having a clipboard, walking around with a clipboard. Right. It's just right. electronic at that point. Yeah. Another piece that I really liked being able to mirror my iPad was I could get more students engaged. So if I was calling kids up to the board, they became very hesitant, right? Math is already an intimidating subject, but then bringing them up to the board and saying, now you write in front of the whole class the engagement was very low. They mm -hmm. didn't want to. But if I was able to walk around and say, hey, I like this, go ahead and draw that on the board, I could give them the stylus and my iPad. They don't have to get up. They don't have to you know, show face. They don't have to get up in front of anybody. But they could write down what they have, and everybody can still see what's on the board right? because it's projecting. And so now the student's attention is not on the person writing it's what what's on being or it's what's being written written so, on the screen yes. yeah you know and as you bring that up too so that's kind of how i started when i had the ipad and then once the students got their ipads you know using a, an app called class kick which you have if you haven't tried class kick i highly recommend it just mm -hmm. in terms of the interactivity it's it's design it's an app that's designed where you can basically create lessons on blank slides and it's designed for feedback so that you can and what really sets it apart from others you create a set of slides and when you assign them to your students you can easily on your iPad screen jump from student slide to student slide and see what they're doing in real time. So when you brought up that student sharing their work uh, part to the to the lesson, so what I just wanted to mention as far as uh, using ClassKick with the iPad, it was really nice being able to take for students and have them show their work by, I would just say, hey, does anybody want to volunteer an answer for a problem or show what you've worked on? And I wouldn't have anybody raise their hand. But I would say, okay, who will allow me to put their work from slide number four up on the screen? And I would usually get seven to eight hands in a class. Everybody was comfortable having me put their work up there. And all, I didn't have to do anything with their device. Being that my iPad was mirrored to the screen, I could jump to each individual student and show their work and what would often happen is like a springboard effect where they would see someone else's work and they would say hey I had something similar to that or I had something different can you show mine and I might get six seven eight kids where we actually had to physically just move on because I had so many kids volunteering compared to a setting where I asked hey does anybody want to share and it was like crickets yeah. so really kind of a nice thing when you have a, a platform where you can jump from student to student and class kicks not the only place you can do that it's possible to show and share student work in platforms like Nearpod as well doing that type of thing but like you mentioned with the the idea of a time saver from the fact that you're able to be more mobile and get to students faster uh, the other thing about that too is when you've got that iPad mirrored to the screen and you're jumping from student to student uh, you know you can also provide feedback um, in an app like ClassKick where you can actually write directly on their screen yeah definitely a valuable uh, tool and resource through ClassKick yeah Well, that brings us to the end of this episode, and there are so many good ideas on the time-saving tips document that we can't really give them all the time they deserve in this particular episode, but we're going to be doing a follow-up episode in the future with more time-saving tips and strategies, and you won't want to miss it. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and write us a review. You can find previous episodes of Teaching and Tech with Alan and Chad on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.